It is Tuesday, July 12th, back here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaub. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, I am back home. It's early. I haven't even brushed my teeth yet. I had to, like, start <laughs> breakfast. I got some water so that I'm, uh, you know, somewhat intelligible on here. But this is – it's a different thing. I know that we have done this one other time this early in the day, but we're certainly not usually on this early. No, yeah, I'm st- I'm still on coffee number one, or I'm usually on like coffee three by the time we record these. So we'll we'll see how it goes. I make sure to get the caffeine in early. I'm not a coffee fan, but I'm gonna get my caffeine in early before the kids are up, so I'm ready to face them. But we had to get this in early because we've got uh, meetings with Draft Sharks later today. We've got lots coming up on the podcast. I mean, you know, we're jumping right back into it. Not only are we continuing this divisional preview series, we got two of those coming this week, but we've also got interspersed on each side of them. The beginning of our uh, beat writer interview series, we've got Cameron De Silva of the Rams tomorrow. We've got Mike Kliss for the Broncos coming up on Friday and a bunch more beyond that. Yeah, and a couple interesting teams there to kick us off. Two teams we've already covered in this preview series. But um, yeah, excited to, to pick those guys' brains and see what we can learn about the Rams and Broncos uh, heading into 2022 here. Yeah, going to be fun to get into that. Today, we're getting into the NFC South. Like I said, third division we've done. We did the NFC West. We did the AFC West. You can find those on DraftSharks.com. Check out the new podcast pages on DS. Our tech guys have been smashing those lately. You can watch the video on there. You can subscribe on your preferred podcast delivery service. So check those pages out. Find us wherever you like to get podcasts. We're on pretty much all of those services at this point as well. But Jared, let's jump into the NFC South. We'll start with the Atlanta Falcons and tell me about what has changed there. Yeah, no coaching changes. We have head coach Arthur Smith, offensive coordinator Dave Ragone back for their second season in Atlanta. Year one did not go too well for for this offense or the team in general, I guess. Um, The 2021 Falcons ranked 29th in total yards, 26th in points. They were 31st in plays. Um, They were a pass-leaning offense. They were 8th in pass rate, 14th in situation, neutral pass rate. They were also uh, 11th in situation, neutral pace. So I I guess the pace they played at would suggest we should expect some more play volume from this offense this season, although I I don't think it's going to be a good offense. They're not going to be converting many third downs. Um, Not not an offense we're super excited about in fantasy football heading into this season. I would even drop the super and say we're not at all excited about it. I mean, this offense was bad in year one under Arthur Smith. Looked like it would be. And then it lost Calvin Ridley to suspension. Then it dumped its veteran quarterback and went with a veteran quarterback that has not been very good so far in the NFL. So there's really nothing to like overall. We'll talk about the specific guys as we move on. You mentioned them being slightly past leaning. I think they had to be last year because the backfield stunk. I still landed just under 60% for projecting their uh, pass rush because I don't think that they're built to throw the ball a whole lot. I think where that could go up, though, is if they do struggle and trail even more often. I don't even know if you can trail more often than last season, but, you know, they just might have to pass the ball more than that again. Yeah, I mean, the the backfield still isn't great. The quarterback situation got shakier, too. Um, DraftKings Sportsbook has Atlanta's over-under win total at five. That, that's the second lowest. Uh, only the Texans are lower at four and a half. So it's going to be a bad team. Even if they want to run more, I don't think they're going to be able to. So, yeah, they were around 61% pass last year. I have them at 59.5% this year. And, again, you know, that, that might be, even be low if they're going to be as bad as as these Vegas uh, you know lines expect them to be. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they're – I'm not even sure it's fair that they're significantly ahead of Houston yeah. in win projection. The, the things look yeah. bad in Atlanta. So let's move on from the overall bleak outlook, and we'll talk about the individual players at quarterback. Of course, they've got a battle. We'll see how it goes. They signed Marcus Mariota in free agency. Then they drafted Desmond Ritter, not until the third round. So, you know, usually a third-round quarterback is not a strong candidate to start right away. I think that Desmond Ritter is – abnormally well set up for a third round quarterback to compete for early starting time. He was a four-year starter at Cincinnati. He was productive throughout that stretch, progressed throughout that. Of course, he also progressed the program throughout that to the point where they were a playoff team last year in FBS. Um, And Arthur Smith has already talked up his intelligence, quote, light years ahead of most young quarterbacks in that particular aspect. So, I wouldn't say I'm excited about Ritter either short or long-term, but in terms of him versus Marcus Mariota, I think there's a shot that he's starting at some point in the first half of this season. Yeah. And and Arthur Smith even left open the possibility that Ritter is going to start at some point this season. And, you know, that, that that's kind of rare if we're talking early in the off season for a coach to come in and say, yeah, you know, this rookie has a chance to play. So I'm sure we're going to see both of these guys this season. I, I would bet, pretty safely that Mariota is going to be under center week one, but that Ritter is going to come in because, you know, Mariota is going to struggle. I wish he was getting another chance in a better situation because I still think Mariota could be like, you know, a league average NFL starter and maybe even more than that in fantasy because of the rushing. But, man, you know, this, this O-line is shaky. The weapons we'll get to are shaky. Um, So I I do think Mariota is going to struggle. I think the, you know, the only reason to consider these guys in fantasy, and it's really only two quarterback and super flex leagues, is, is both guys have mobility. Um, you know, Desmond Ritter ran the 4-5-2-40 at the combine, uh, 96th percentile relative athletic score. So he's going to provide some some fantasy value with his legs. And then Mariota averaged, you know, about four carries and 22 rushing yards per game when he was starting with the Titans. So, you know, that that could boost these guys into like mid, mid-range quarterback two territory when they're under center. But again, it's, it's not, it's not going to be a pretty situation for either of them. Yeah, for a little context, though, Daniel Jones, four and a half carries, 26.3 yards per game rushing so far. So he's a better runner in the NFL, at least in terms of production, than Marcus Mariota was with the Titans. So uh, that that's the thing is Mariota wasn't very good in any aspect in Tennessee. He was decent over his first two years, topped 5% touchdown rates in each of those years, 7.6 yards per pass attempt over that span, 62.9% completions with the Titans, but lost his job to Ryan Tannehill could only land a backup job with the Raiders. Um, Didn't get any more opportunities in between his first and second year with the Raiders after signing there. And then only found this opportunity in Atlanta this off season. And they signed him to that two year deal, similar to what Mitchell Trubisky got in Pittsburgh. It's really just a one year guaranteed deal, kind of a, let's see what happens. And he's our veteran insurance guy. There's there's really been no reason given by Mariota for us to bet on him going forward, though. Yeah, I don't think Atlanta's 2023 starting quarterback is on the roster right now. Uh, I think they were already looking ahead to, to next year's draft class at quarterbacks. It's a, it's a strong one. I think if I had to bet right now who their 2023 starter would be between these two, I would definitely bet Desmond Ritter yes. uh, pretty heavily. Yeah, I agree there. Um, So let's move on to running back because I agree that there's not really a whole lot of interest in the quarterbacks and we'll talk about them again in the ADP section running back Cordero Patterson, of course, was a breakthrough guy last year, 10th in PPR points, 12th in non PPR points, 17th in expected PPR points and 21st in expected non PPR. So outperformed his level of usage last year in terms of fantasy scoring. 
Yeah, and, and did a lot of his damage in the passing game. He was awesome there. Not not surprising for a guy who, you know, really spent a lot of his career prior to this as a you know, wide receiver and a special teams guy. But Patterson, fifth among running backs in targets, sixth in catches, second in receiving yards. Among 49 running backs with 30-plus targets last year, Patterson's second in both PFF receiving grade and yards per route run, behind only Christian McCaffrey. Um, he wasn't nearly as good in the running game, uh, 44th in PFF rushing grade, 30th in elusive rating. Also really tailed off late last season. He had an ankle injury in Week 11. Over the final four games, just 71 rushing yards on 31 carries, just six catches over those final four games. So, you know, the fact that he tailed off, he's in his 30s, he already wasn't great in the running game. I, I do think Atlanta probably wants to scale back his rushing workload a bit. I, I do think, though, and especially looking at the other you know weapons on this team, that Patterson's going to continue to play a, a big role in this passing game. I'm not sure weapons is really a fair term to use when we're talking about the Atlanta offense. But yeah, we'll kind of get to his valuation more in the ADP section. But I, I think that the, the takeaway here is he is probably still the best running back on the Falcons. <laughs> the team probably doesn't want him to operate like a true lead back. Arthur Smith has talked about him moving around, which might even mean, you know, more receiving work this year than last year. Cause Patterson spent 62% of his snaps in the backfield last year. So maybe we see more work in the slot or, you know, just lining up in different spots, um, which would leave more places for uh, the more traditional running backs that are on the roster. The first guy that I want to bring up of those is Tyler Algier, who of course is the rookie joined the team as a fifth round pick was a walk on at BYU. Then red shirted uh, was a move to linebacker in the middle of his college career. Cause they needed help at that position, but then moved back to running back and dominated backfield work over his final two seasons at BYU. What do you think of Tyler Algier heading into the situation? I like the player. You mentioned the, the, Production at BYU, he was 13th in PFF rushing grade last year among 173 college running backs with 100-plus carries. He was 20th among those 173 in elusive rating. Um, so, like the player. I mean, I'm not going to say I love him. He's not super excited. I, mean, I think he's a solid runner. Um, situation's obviously good. You know, we, we, we'll talk about Damian Williams, who's kind of, I think, Algiers' competition for, you know, work alongside Cordell or Patterson. The, the one thing holding me back about getting too excited here is just the fact that you know, we're talking about a fifth-round pick. Uh, Algier was the 12th running back off the board. So 28 running backs were selected in round five over the previous 10 NFL drafts. Only three of those guys even hit 800 rushing yards. Only four of them reached 500 rushing yards. So it's just rare to see a fifth round back come in and make an immediate impact. Uh, that doesn't mean Algier can't do it. I just don't want to you know, bet too heavily on it just because of the situation. Yeah, if you're getting excited about any day three NFL draft pick, then you're probably you probably need to stop and pull back a little bit. Um, Algier is certainly well set up. So he was productive in college, which we already talked about fourth nationally in rushing yards last year. Below average speed score, below average burst score, below average at agility score. So he's not a supreme athlete among running backs. So that's worth keeping in mind. But. 84th percentile college dominator rating, according to player profiler. And that's a category that looks at the percentage of his team's offense that are running back accounted for 66th, 66th percentile college yards per carry. It's a little early to have all the words going uh, 77th percentile target share for the position. So he was involved as both a runner and a receiver. And, you know, like you alluded to, like I just said, we shouldn't count on a day three NFL draft pick giving us big stuff. That said, we also need only look back to last year where Elijah Mitchell emerged from round six to produce numbers. Khalil Herbert 
in spurts for Chicago when the opportunity presented itself. You know, within that span that you mentioned, Jordan Howard was a fifth round pick. Aaron Jones was a fifth round pick. Chris Carson, a seventh round pick. So it's unlikely that a guy delivers big stuff from that range, but it's not unprecedented. And again, if anyone's going to do it based on situation, you know, Algier set up nicely because his competition for that work right now, at least, is Damian Williams, who, you know, signed signed a one year, one point six million dollar deal with only half a million guaranteed in free agency. You really, I mean, you look at his career. He had that nice run late in 2019 and through the Super Bowl. You know, it was highly publicized. I think that kind of makes him overrated, honestly, because he hasn't done anything beyond that. That 2019 was the only season he's topped. 50 carries or 23 catches. Um, he turned 30 in April. So we're talking about like a journeyman backup here. Um, I think Williams is like, as of now, and I still think Atlanta could add to this backfield, but as of now, he's like the emergency plan. If Algier doesn't pan out, if Court, if Patterson deals with injuries or whatever. And not just a journeyman backup, but a journeyman like receiving compliment. So you mentioned the carry numbers. He's been between 23 and 37 targets every year. So comparatively, he has been, used more as a receiver than as a runner career low 6.4 yards per catch last year in Chicago fell short of 20 receptions for the first time that of course followed a year off for COVID. So, you know, it's an old back who has just never gotten significant work. And now if I'm choosing between him and Tyler Algier, it's just an easy choice between the two of them. He was third among bears running backs by a wide margin in carries last year, by the way, behind Khalil Herbert, who was a sixth round rookie that year. So you you might hear people talk about Damian Williams and talk about how they like him as a very late best ball pick. If you look at ADP, though, that's really he's not getting drafted. Mostly he's RB 83. So I don't want to overrate how much people like him. He's really a, a zero shares guy for me, though, at any level. Yeah, me too. I mean, because even if he takes over a significant role, like he's not a great player and it's a bad offense. I'm just not excited even about the upside. Right. Of course, the the positive for everybody is like it was last year is you can't look at this backfield and say this guy is awesome. Cordell Patterson looks better this year than he did heading into last season. But otherwise, it's the two we just mentioned, Kadri Allison, Caleb Huntley and Avery Williams, who is a, a tiny fast guy that they converted from cornerback this year to play running back. So like we said this time last year, wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta adds somebody either through trade or after players start getting cut. But, you know, it's just not a situation to get excited about anyone with. Exactly. Pass catchers, though, a lot more intrigue here. It's still concentrated in just a couple of guys, though. And we usually start with wide receivers, but everything starts with Kyle Pitts right now in the Atlanta passing game. And he was better than his fantasy numbers would say last year, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had had everything but the touchdowns last year. So 1,026 receiving yards for Pitts. Second most by a tight end and uh, by a rookie tight end in NFL history. Third most catches by a rookie tight end in NFL history. Was even good for the position outside of, you know, first year players. So among 35 tight ends with 40 plus targets last season, Pitts fifth in yards per out run, sixth in PFF receiving grade, you know, finished, you know, air quotes, just sixth in PPR points because he scored just one touchdown. But it, it wasn't even for lack of opportunity. I mean, Pitts. 10th among tight ends with 23 red zone targets, 13th among tight ends with six end zone targets. You know, his expected touchdowns, according to Pro Football Focus, 6.1. So that was the ninth most expected touchdown. So he just got unlucky not scoring touchdowns. If he had, you know, he would have finished a few spots higher in fantasy points. He'd possibly be going even higher than he was right than he is right now in fantasy drafts. But Jared, is it concerning that we don't even know yet that he can score a touchdown in the United States? Oh, that's right. It was a London touchdown, wasn't it? 
That's right. Although I did we'll get see, one. I did see um, our buddy Ian Harditz at PFF pointed out that Kyle Pitts can only score touchdowns in London. So the team went and drafted Drake London to keep him <laughs> on the field to really yeah. tap into that ability heading into the season. Sounds like something Harditz would come up with. Yeah, it's probably my favorite tweet that I've ever seen from him. Um, so Drake London is the addition here. You mentioned the reasons to like Kyle Pitts, and we'll talk about ADP as we get to it. But Drake London, they took as the first wide receiver off the board. I think we all expected them to take wide receiver. I think we were all like sitting there hoping they were not going to take Kenny Pickett at eighth overall because that is not where he belonged. Probably didn't even belong at 20th overall, but they didn't. They took Drake London as the first wide receiver, and he steps into a great spot for opportunity. Yeah, and I think he's ready, ready to you know capture the opportunity. Um, ha- had three really nice seasons at USC, so he had 567 yards and five scores as a true freshman. Just six games as a sophomore in 2020. That was the you know the COVID shortened season, but London averaged five and a half catches, 84 receiving yards per game in 2020. Actually beat Amon Ra St. Brown in receiving yards per game in 2020, and we know what he just did as a rookie. And then last year with Amon Ra St. Brown gone. London had a massive season, just eight games. His season got cut short by by a broken ankle, but 11 catches, 136 yards, and .9 touchdowns per game across those eight games. First in the country in catches per game, second in receiving yards per game. Also led all draft-eligible receivers in PFF receiving grades, um, and then got the awesome draft capital, eighth overall. We know there's a correlation between draft capital and you know immediate opportunity, and again, we'll talk about a little bit the rest of this wide receiver depth chart there's not much to talk about so you know london should be right there with kyle pitts competing for the, for the team lead and targets this season and the closest thing to interesting with this offense is that drake london is a big dude but he operated at all levels of that usc offense played inside played outside kyle pitts is a tight end who plays wide receiver cordero patterson is a guy that they can move all around so those three guys will be at least interesting for seeing exactly what the offense does with them. It would be nice if there was a quality quarterback and we'll see if Desmond Ritter can become that, but you know, it it falls short of being exciting, but those three are at least interesting. And that's more than I can say about the rest of this wide receiver core, where the only other guy even getting drafted, you know, looking at ADP is Brian Edwards. And honestly, I'm not interested in Brian Edwards until he shows me that I need to be. Well, he's cheap enough where you can take shots on him. I'm, I'm, just barely hanging on. I've taken him, you know, in the 18th round of these underdogs a few times. Actually, the, the, you know, the reason I've been taking Edwards is because if you have uh, Cardinal stacks, it's Arizona, Atlanta, week 17. So I, I like getting Brian Edwards at the end to those Cardinal stacks. I mean, there's there, there's nothing about Edwards' first two seasons to be optimistic about. Um, you know, he dealt with a bunch of injuries as a rookie, caught just 11 passes. Then last year, he was, you know, relatively healthy, just 571 yards and three touchdowns. He was near the bottom of the league in both PFF receiving grade and yards per route run. I mean, the things to hang on to still, he's, you know, still not even 24 yet. He turns 24 in November and he did have a nice prospect profile coming out, had awesome, you know, market shares at South Carolina, including a breakout as a true freshman at 17 years old. And he was the 81st overall pick of the 2020 draft. You know, he got third round draft capital. So the prospect profile was nice. Again, if you, if, if, People were excited about him and even taking him in round, you know, 13 or 14, I'd be out. But the fact that he's still still available with your very last pick and there's opportunity for playing time and targets here, you know, that that has me at least keeping an eye on him this summer. 
I would keep him on my dynasty roster to see what happens. But the team that took him in round three also just traded him for not even a full draft pick. It was like a swap of draft picks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, granted, it was new leadership there, but still, it, it, it's a guy that they didn't need to give up on. They said, we, you're not going to do anything for us uh, and just send him away. So certainly not a guy I'm betting on. Honestly, if I, even in that end of best ball draft phase, I, I'd probably rather take a shot on like Alameda Zacchaeus if I'm taking a Falcons wide receiver, not because I think he's a better bet straight up than Brian Edwards, but you're getting the even lower ownership percentage in, you know, the situation where it's like, I don't know who it's going to be. It could be anybody. So I think I would chase that lower ownership. You know, that said, like you, like you alluded to Brian Edwards is going late enough that you're, if you're like, I'm going to take a shot on Brian Edwards, uh, it's fine. I'm taking shots on Brian Edwards. Can't (laughs) stop me. That's right. So now we'll go into the ADP review section powered primarily by the underdog ADP because there's been so much drafting on there. And if you're not drafting on underdog yet, you can go set up an account, enter promo code sharks. You get a deposit match, full deposit match up to a hundred bucks. So you can double the money that you put in there and get some drafts going. We'll start at quarterback. And, you know, we talked about it, Jared, the only place I'm interested at all in this quarterback crew is super flex or two quarterback. Even there, it's not exciting. Marcus Mariota's QB 28 in underdog super flex ADP. Desmond Ritter is QB 34, about five rounds behind Mariota. So at those two prices, it's pretty easily Ritter over Mariota for me. Yeah, super flex only for me too. I've heard some people talk about, you know, taking both these guys and just locking up the starter. But I, I don't I don't want to spend two two roster spots out of eighteen on you know one quarterback who's again, you know, probably not gonna give you many top twelve weeks. Um so mm-hmm. I'm I'm out on both these guys. Yeah, if I'm in a lineup setting super flex draft, then I can see taking both of them and you drop whichever one's not starting early in the season. For best if it's a best ball tournament, I would not waste two spots on that QB situation. I'd rather just, you know, bet on one. And if he doesn't work out, he doesn't even kill that team if he doesn't work out. So I would rather bet on one and move on to another situation for the second. We might have actually a super flex sleeper quarterback later in this very show. Running back Cordero Patterson's at RB 34 on underdog RB 29 on FFPC, which is full PPR. And you know, that, that context is important because the way that Patterson went last year and especially the slow finish makes me say, okay, we shouldn't expect more of what he did early last year, but that's what drafters are saying in general. Nobody's excited about Patterson this season. He's dropped from where he was uh, at the beginning of draft season. And that's despite re-signing with the team that allowed him to break out for fantasy purposes. Yeah. Patterson's RB 29 in our half PPR rankings right now. So, you know, five spots ahead of where he's being drafted. He's still not like a main target for me. Again, like I said, it, it's, it's when I have those early Arizona stacks is when I'm targeting these Falcons. Otherwise it's, you know, team I'm for the most part staying away from. Yeah, he's not a target player for me either. I don't think that there is league-winning upside here. There's limited touchdown potential. It doesn't sound like the Falcons want him to dominate carries, and they added Drake London at wide receiver. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it's at least similar target competition with worse quarterback play than he had last year. So just, you know, he's fine value-wise, not exciting. Tyler Algier is RB47, RB48 in FFPC best ball, RB50 in football guys' players' championship drafts on FFPC. I think that's interesting because I think Tyler Algier might even look a little better for lineup setting, you know, with the context where you're stashing him as a late RB4 or RB5. And the benefit to lineup setting leagues is 
if we get to week one and it just looks like they're disappointed with what they're getting from Tyler Algier, you can drop him for whatever's available on the waiver wire because we know that there are going to be players that emerge in week one in all formats. For best ball, he's eaten up that roster spot no matter what happens. Yeah, it seems funny to say for a fifth-round rookie, but I almost think, at least relative to the guys he's going around, that Algier is more of like a floor pick. I think he, had, you know, so he's going, he's going in the same range as like Ty Davis Price and Daryl Henderson and Isaiah Spiller. Like Algier has a clearer path, I think, to work than those guys. So you know, maybe he, maybe he gives you that higher floor to give you something. But I also think his upside isn't as high, isn't nearly as high as, as, as those other guys. So he, he's a guy I'll be more interested in when we get away from these big basketball tournaments and, you know, maybe just competing against, the, uh, you know, 11 other owners in the league. I just that I don't see the upside to, you know, to, you know, win these big underdog or big FFPC basketball tournaments. Yeah, I agree. Not a target player for me, but somebody that I'll mix in at the point where he's going. He's behind Kenneth Gainwell, behind Ty Davis Price, as you mentioned, behind Khalil Herbert, even though he's got a better path to work for his team than Khalil Herbert does for the Bears. Only slightly ahead of James Robinson, J.D. McKissick, and Daryl Williams on that half PPR format. Damian Williams, like I mentioned, you'll you'll find pockets of support for him, but he's barely getting drafted by ADP. That's as it should be, I think. And he's really only a best ball consideration because I don't think there's upside here. You're basically hoping he gives you one good week that two guys ahead of him get hurt by the end of the season. Wide receiver, Drake London, wide receiver 37 which I think is a good level for him to be going at because you can still see upside from there, even in a bad offense. I'm still favoring Adam Thielen and Elijah Moore within a round of where Drake London's going ADP-wise. I like Thielen over London. I like London over Moore. London's probably my favorite target on Atlanta, and I'm not saying he's a guy I'm like going all in on, but I, I do like him there. I do think he has upside, like you said, beyond that. I mean, he's a good-looking prospect, got top 10 draft capital, and there's a you know, chance he gets 130, 140 targets this season. And if he does that, even with shaky quarterback play, like he's, he's going to be a, a, a big profit at this price. Yeah. I think it's definitely fair to ponder who has the highest ceiling among like him, Elijah Moore, Devonte Smith, Russell Gage, all going in a similar range in underdog drafts right behind him are Hunter Renfro and Michael Thomas, which I don't know, kind of helps lower the ceiling on London versus what's around and not lower the ceiling, but make them less of a target player for me in that range. Somebody I'm certainly willing to take some of, especially as you mentioned, if it's um, with Arizona players uh, or if I plan on taking one of those Atlanta quarterbacks late, but that doesn't quite stand out for me. It's a nice wide receiver range in general, which is probably the reason I don't have more Drake London right now. Mm-hmm. Brian Edwards, like I mentioned, next Falcons receiver at wide receiver 93. If you're like Jared and you want to take him, go for it. <laughs> no yeah. big deal. I'm definitely boosting that ADP. <laughs> there you go. Making a move. Kyle Pitts, tight end three, which is to be expected. He's a little bit more than a round behind Mark Andrews, though, and a little bit less than a round ahead of Darren Waller. So that late round three ADP on underdog is worth noting not just for him versus the tight ends, but versus the rest of the field. Because if you compare Kyle Pitts in late round three to Travis Kelsey, late round one, Mark Andrews, somewhere in round two, taking pits versus those two guys allows you to start with running back and or wide receiver in each of the first two rounds. And then you can still get similar target share upside with pits versus those top two tight ends. Yeah. Pitts isn't like, even though he's only around behind Andrews, he's just in a range in these drafts right now where I feel like there's a drop off sometimes at least at the other positions like once you get into the later third round of these underdog drafts like if you know if Alvin Kamara and James Conner are off the board and like you know DJ Moore is a guy like late in round three but if those guys are gone 
Then you're getting into, you know, Travis Etienne, Marquise Brown, Cortland Sutton, Jalen Waddle. I, I feel like that's a teardrop for me. So that, that's kind of why I've been getting pits. Like I, I definitely like him as a value over Mark Andrews. And I probably even like him over Darren Waller. I think I feel like Waller's going around later, but it's like the same tier of player at that point in draft. So pits to me is like that elite tight end I can get when the and when the you know quality is sort of dropped off at the other positions. And Kyle Pitts should lead his team in targets this year. Darren Waller could easily finish third, uh, at least likely to finish second among Raiders. Yep, fair. Moving on to the Carolina Panthers, no change at head coach. Matt Rule enters his third season as head coach, but the OC is different. We had Joe Brady in that spot each of the past two years. He got dumped in early December. Now it's Ben McAdoo, who spent four years as first OC and then head coach of the Giants 2014 to 2017 those offenses ranked 10th, 8th, 25th, 21st in yards, 13th, 6th, 26th, 31st in points. Three of his teams were over 60% passing, 17th, 16th, 6th, and 12th in neutral pass rate. So seems like he's at least slightly <laughs> pass leaning. We'll see where that goes yeah. with this new team. But Carolina looks like it's built to lean a little bit further on the pass and Matt rule needs something exciting in this third season because he heads into this year on the hot seat. And they did upgrade a quarterback. We'll, we'll get to that next. Um, so I think that helps the the pass rate a bit. The other note I had on, on McAdoo fast paced offenses in New York, all four of those giants offenses were top seven in pace and three of the four were top four in situation neutral pace. The Panthers last year, 17th in pace, 18th in situation, neutral pace. So hopefully McAdoo speeds this offense up. That, that should help the play volume this season. He Another feature of his offense with the Giants was quick throws, getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand quickly. Eli Manning in those four seasons finished seventh, tied for ninth, fourth, and second in time to throw, according to PFF. Baker Mayfield now probably the starter, tied for 21st, tied for 15th, tied for 32nd, tied for 26th in his four seasons. So we're either going to see the quarterback holding the ball longer than the coordinator wants him to, or we'll see a coordinator who gets Baker Mayfield to deliver the ball more quickly. At least Baker's got a talented set of pass catchers to work with this year. Yeah. I think there are pass catchers that kind of suit that quick passing game, right? I mean, Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore, especially are, are awesome after the catch. Yep. And then run pass split. I landed just under 61% for projecting them. I don't expect the Panthers to be good this year. And by the Vegas projections, they have the fifth lowest projected win total. I do think there's upside to the offense. We'll talk more about that as we get into the individual players. Yeah, 59.5% pass for me, which is up slightly from where they were last year. At QB, as we mentioned, they traded for Baker Mayfield. Minimal investment here. Uh, conditional 2024 draft pick. The Browns are paying two-thirds of his salary. So it was basically the team that would take on Baker Mayfield rather than a team chasing after him. I still think he's likely to be their starter because Sam Darnold stunk again last year. And, you know, clearly that's, it's just the highest upside option they have on their roster now. Yeah. I think that's the big fantasy takeaway here is that to me, Mayfield is an upgrade over Darnold. And maybe it's an upgrade going from bad quarterback play to average quarterback play, you know, but, but, but it's still an upgrade. Um, you know, Mayfield's 2021 was rough. I mean, he dealt with a bunch of injuries. He had the left shoulder injury, knee injury, foot injury, uh, spent a, spent a week on the COVID list. Um, so that, that was tough. Um, you, you look back to 2020 though, 63% completion rate, 7.3 yards per attempt, 26 touchdowns versus eight interceptions. Mayfield was 10th among 32 qualifying quarterbacks in PFF receiving grade that year. 
passing grade. And pa- passing grade, yep. <laughs> He's not, not doing much, much pass catching. And you look at PFF grades over their career. So Mayfield has earned a higher PFF grade in each of his first three NFC seasons than Darnold has in any of his four NFL seasons. So Mayfield, again, looks like an upgrade. I don't think he's going to be much of a fantasy factor, uh, but I think he, he helps guys like McCaffrey and DJ Moore at least a little bit. Yeah, I don't think that you give them huge boosts for the move to Baker Mayfield. I do think that there is more of a chance that there is a significant boost than there would have been with Sam Darnold. So as long as you stop short of being excited, I think it's okay to be you know, cautiously optimistic about the QB switch. Running back, of course, there's room to be excited, even if you're not totally comfy with Christian McCaffrey after two seasons, mostly lost to injury, you know, played plenty. And we'll talk about what he did in those games. But that's the thing. Christian McCaffrey, you look at him and the only real thing to dislike is that he got hurt each of the past two years. And if that makes you uneasy at the top of the draft, I mean, that's just how it is. You can pass on him and probably still be okay. The most running backs though are a pretty good bet to miss some time. Our sports injury predictor <laughs> algorithm has him projected to miss two games, has him as a medium injury risk. You know, it's worth looking at those specific injuries over the past two years for McCaffrey he had a hamstring and a left ankle sprain last year. The year before it was a high right ankle sprain, a shoulder injury, a thigh injury, shoulder and thigh probably aren't issues to even remember going forward. Ankle sprains each of the past two years is a bit troubling. A hamstring last year is troubling. I think it's worth, you know, realizing though that none of those injuries between the past two years was actually a recurrence of a previous one. Yeah, and I think none of them are long-term issues that are going to, you know, hinder his play going forward. Um, You know, McCaffrey had had been healthy throughout his football career, really, prior to the last two seasons. He's, He's still just 26 years old. He turned 26 last month. Um, he's entering year six. I looked at our dynasty aging curves. Those say to expect 95% of peak production from, from a running back in their sixth NFL season. It's really year like seven and eight when you start to uh, get a decline from these guys. So he's still, you know, basically in his prime here. And the guy remained super busy and super productive when he was on the field the past couple seasons. Yeah. And you can check the rankings page, check his full profile, his player page on trashsharks.com to see the specifics. But that's the thing is he was still dominant. Christian McCaffrey went on the field despite changing things around him, new coach, new quarterbacks, not good offense. And here's what Matt rule said about Christian McCaffrey. This may quote, anytime Christian is out there, he changes, tilts the game, tilts the field. At the same time, we're trying to really invest in Chuba, invest in Deontay and the other backs because we want to make sure that we have a well-rounded offense. That's from SI.com. I'm not buying that they're giving significant work to Chuba Hubbard or Deontay Foreman. There's just no reason to take significant work away from Christian McCaffrey. You can say what you want about trying to limit his exposure and keep him healthy through the season. You know, it makes sense to give some the other guys some carries. This is still going to be a backfield dominated by Christian McCaffrey, who has always been even more valuable as a receiver than a runner. So that just naturally takes a little bit of the rushing workload, the hits in between the tackles away from him. So I'm not altering my touch outlook for him. And I think that he's still way above everybody else at the position in ultimate ceiling as he's showed us in the past. Yeah. McCaffrey's going to, going to lead running backs in fantasy points per game this season. I feel good about that. It's just, you know, how many games he plays. I wouldn't even mind if, he loses two or three carries from what he had been seeing. So over over the last two years, you know, he's played eight full games over the last two years. 
17.6 carries and 7.1 targets per game over those eight games. Like, you know, give me, give me 15 carries and seven targets per game. And I'm happy. He's going to lead all running backs in, in PPR points. So I wouldn't mind if he gets scaled back a little bit. Other note here, I'm, I'm optimistic about this Panthers O-line. Um, it was not good last year. They were 25th in both PFF run blocking grades and football outsiders adjusted line yards, but they spent the sixth overall pick of this spring's draft on Iki Iquanu. Uh, so you know, that hopefully solves left tackle. They have a solid right tackle in Taylor Moson. And then they added guard Austin Corbett and center Bradley Bozeman in free agency, who are both like above average starters. So I'm not saying this is going to be a top, you know, not probably not even a top 10 line, but if it can be an average unit, you know, that'd be a big step up from what they were last year. Yeah, they're trying to improve it. And, you know, frankly, either direction that it goes helps McCaffrey because if it's better than better rushing efficiency, if it's worse, more dump offs to that running back to try to escape the pressure. So, you know, he, he's just kind of a, a situation proof player. Obviously, anybody can get hurt and anybody can suffer in a bad situation. But Christian McCaffrey's not a guy that you downgrade for any particular concerns with Carolina. Deontay Foreman, I mentioned they they added this offseason. Uh, they signed him early in free agency. It was just a one-year, $2 million deal, though. He ran well in Tennessee last year, of course. It's also worth remembering that the team signed him off the street after Derrick Henry went down. They had him on the practice squad in the second half of 2020. They let him walk at that point. He signed with and was released by that Falcons team last year that relied on Cordero Patterson and Mike Davis in the backfield. He signed with the Titans practice squad in November last year, still didn't even get the opportunity to lead in carries there until after they gave 87 year old Adrian Peterson a shot. So Foreman in a, a good backup spot, a good handcuff type of position, but don't overrate either his personal upside or the certainty that he is the number two back. Both our friends at our lads and ESPN list Chuba Hubbard as the number two running back in Carolina right now ahead of Foreman. Yeah, I think it's going to be a competition. Um, I mean, ne- neither of these guys was very efficient last year, at least by PFF met- metrics. So Foreman, 39th in PFF rushing grade among 50 qualifying running backs. Hubbard actually beat him uh, by, by a little. Hubbard was 33rd in PFF rushing grade. Hubbard was 40th in elusive rating. Dante Foreman was 28th in elusive rating. You know, Foreman's contract definitely doesn't guarantee him anything. So I think it's a competition. And I think, you know, neither guy has any standalone fantasy value. There's pure handcuffs behind Christian McCaffrey. And even if McCaffrey goes down, might be a committee, not a super exciting offense. I, um, I'm not, I'm not really drafting either of these guys, especially in, in best ball. Yeah. And Tennessee let Dante Foreman walk after what he did for them last year and opted for a sixth round rookie in Hassan Haskins instead. So even they're like, man, yeah, he's fine. Chuba Hubbard, by the way, stepped in as the handcuff last year after Christian McCaffrey went down, but then he lost work to Amir Abdullah during the season who Carolina picked up at that point. When McCaffrey first went down, Hubbard had 63% of the team's carries, 10% of the targets. Initially, the next time he went down, it was down to 41% of carries, 4.3% of the targets. So the Panthers didn't love what they saw from Hubbard. You know, it's still a competition between him and Foreman. I think they would split work and it makes me not interested in either guy, even in a, even in a handcuff position. Yeah, again, Hubbard wasn't great as a runner. He was he was one of the, the worst running backs in the league in the receiving game, 42nd in PFF receiving grade among 49 qualifiers. So just not an exciting player, not an exciting situation. Yeah. So on to the pass catchers where there is more exciting talent. We start with DJ Moore. Among all wide receivers in the NFL since he entered the league in 2018, DJ Moore ranks seventh in targets, 13th in catches, 8th in yards, 16th in yards per game, 13th in total PPR points, 
34th in PPR points per game, 46th in touchdowns. So he's getting plenty of opportunities ever since he entered the league. He's doing fine production wise on what he's getting and he can't find the end zone. Yeah. I mean, one of these years we're going to get an eight, nine touchdown season out of DJ Moore. And that's when he's going to, you know, bump into the top 10. Again, I like that he is getting, you know, what I think is a quarterback upgrade heading into 2022. I, I looked at his expected touchdowns versus actual touchdowns. So the, the two years we have it for the, the past two, 2020, 2021. So he scored four touchdowns, both those seasons, his expected touchdowns were six and a half and 6.3. So, you know, those, those are like middling marks. So he hasn't been getting awesome opportunity near the end zone, but again, he's been getting more than, you know, what the touchdown numbers actually show. So you know, I, I, I think he's, in for a spike in touchdowns going forward. Volume's still going to be big. You know, it's basically the same group of pass catchers returning for 2022. And again, quarterback upgrade. So um, Moore seems like a safe wide receiver too. And again, if he does, you know, get some touchdown luck one of these seasons, I think he can definitely finish as a wide receiver one. Yeah. Now I don't think we should expect when you say touchdown luck, I don't think we should expect the double digit touchdown season. You know, maybe that can happen, but he's just not set up that way. If you look at our projections, though, he's not even projected for six touchdown catches, and he's up around wide receiver one territory across formats. So it's not going to take a whole lot of regression in that category to boost him a little bit. And we'll talk about his ADP in a few minutes. But the primary competition for him at the position is Robbie Anderson, as it was the past two years. And Robbie Anderson, of course, is coming off a terrible year, just a year after he played a surprisingly high volume target role versus DJ Moore in that Carolina offense. I think probably we're looking at something in between those two extremes this season and the way that last year went, how poorly it went, I think really leaves drafters in general, having no idea what to do with Robbie Anderson and, you know, in general versus how he has produced in his career so far saying, I just don't want to be in on him. I I don't know what to do with Robbie Anderson. I mean, I've been, taking him because he's going late enough where it doesn't cost a whole lot. But I mean, he, he was one of the least efficient wide receivers in the NFL last season, 4.7 yards per target. That was 88th among 89 wide receivers with 50 plus targets. Look at Robbie Anderson's yards per target over his first five NFL seasons. So it was 4.7 last year. Prior to that, 7.5, 8.3, 8.0, 8.1, 8.1. Part of it was definitely the quarterback play. He wasn't good either though if you look at pff receiving grades 83rd among 89 qualifying wide receivers it was anderson's worst grade since his rookie season but like again he had those strong yards per target numbers his first five seasons he, he still just turned 29 in may so i don't think he's he's done so i think again where his price is i think it's worth betting on at least somewhat of a bounce back especially because Caroline didn't add any competition at wide receiver i mean we'll talk about terrace marshall he's like the competition who you know was the the second round pick last year coming off a really poor rookie season and Caroline didn't, didn't, didn't add anything else. So, you know, it's, it's definitely the chances there for, for Anderson to, you know, basically play the same role he did last year. And if he can, you know, get, you know, that he was 27th among wide receivers and targets last year, if he can get that type of volume and even just be, you know, average efficiency wise, you know, we're talking about a wide receiver three. Last year was terrible, but as you mentioned from those numbers, it's not proof that we can't count on Robbie Anderson. It's an outlier versus what he's done throughout the rest of his career. And he's played with terrible quarterbacks. You might, you know, it was easy to think heading into last season. Oh, Sam Darnold, Robbie Anderson has played with him and produced with him before. This is probably a positive move for him in an offense that already used him a lot last season. 
we have actually seen now in three straight years that Robbie Anderson has played with Sam Darnold, his targets per route have fallen. So even though it was a familiar quarterback, it was a downgrade for him at quarterback. So this QB switch is probably at least neutral, if not good for Robbie Anderson and Baker Mayfield at full health is probably the best quarterback that Robbie Anderson will have played with in his career. So Things are good in that area. And the other thing to like here is that Matt Rule, his history with Robbie Anderson goes back to college where he like petitioned for him to return to the team at Temple when Robbie Anderson got into academic trouble. Now he says he expect quotes, ton of production from Robbie Anderson in the new offense under Ben McAdoo. And as you mentioned, the big thing here is the ADP, which, you know, we'll talk about more, but he's wide receiver 70 right now, even after moving back up lately that's below where he has finished in any of his nfl seasons so far so there's no downside to what his adp is right now and then again his competition is is terrace marshall who i i liked coming into the league last year coming out of lsu um you know got nice draft capital but man uh, just a disastrous rookie season just 17 catches on 30 targets um he was dead last among 118 wide receivers with 30 plus targets and yards per route run he was 114th among those 118 in PFF receiving grade. So, and, and, and we see, I mean, it's, it's rare for a receiver to have that bad of a rookie year and then kind of, you know, end up being a hit. So I, I'm, you know, I'm not totally out on Marshall after just one season. We'll keep an eye on, eye on him this summer, but um, you know, I'm much less optimistic than I was a year ago. And I, I do think, you know, Anderson is, is the clear favorite to be the number two wide receiver this season. Yeah, and let's skip ahead to the ADP review because the tight ends stink here and Carolina is making sure that we shouldn't care about them. Mm-hmm. So Robbie Anderson, as I mentioned, wide receiver 70 in underdog drafts. Terrace Marshall is at wide receiver 89 right now, and he's been interesting because he started out in that range, dipped all the way into the 100s at wide receiver, and now he's back up to wide receiver 89. I think anywhere in there he's fine to bet on because, as you mentioned, we shouldn't be excited about him or betting on him making a strong rebound now, but that's a pretty marginal bet. He's going at a level where if you get, you know, one to two starter worthy weeks, he's paying off value there. I'm not betting on anything big. And I think the way that Terrace Marshall debuted makes me feel even better about betting on Robbie Anderson between them. I like Robbie Anderson more. I think each of those guys is going at a level where you can take some shares. I think you can take them both in these underdog drafts. They're, they're that cheap um, where, you know, you hope, one of them gives you def- decent production every week. By the way, all, all these uh, Panthers wide receivers are up a little bit in ADP since the uh, Baker Mayfield trade. Anderson up from wide receiver 75 to wide receiver 70. Marshall wide receiver 95 to wide receiver 89. And then DJ Moore um, was wide receiver 18 before the Baker Mayfield trade. He's now up to wide receiver 15. Yeah. Interesting that they've seen that they've all seen bumps like that. I think Maybe that indicates a little bit too much optimism for Baker Mayfield, but it's fair because it's certainly a better quarterback situation. I think probably too, Uh, more than a big boost with Baker. It's like, phew, now we know who the Carolina quarterback is going to be at least. And I think they're all still fairly priced, maybe undervalued at at their, you know, new ADPs. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. DJ Moore is still a guy I like at wide receiver 15. He's still going in the back half of round three. Um, I think that, I think that's a, a nice spot for him. Again, he's safe. And if he gets, you know, one of those, you know, eight touchdown seasons, I think he's, he's going to beat his ADP. And I think he's a particularly nice option if you start with two running backs and then take your first wide receiver at the end of round three. For sure. 
Yep. Looking back to quarterback Baker Mayfield, we'll see where his ADP settles. He's up some, but not significantly uh, in FFPC drafting. He's up about two and a half rounds. Um, that's still late. I don't think he'll climb into the top 20. So I don't really think ADP is going to be a factor of whether or not to take him. I don't think the ceiling's high here. I think he's the kind of quarterback that's only interesting as a stacking partner. If you already have Carolina wideouts. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And again, the, these guys are, cheap enough where you know i think i think you know it doesn't sound like a, a team you want to be super invested in stack wise but i do think that these carolina stacks are okay just because they are so cheap uh baker's uh, quarterback 26 since the trade you know kind of limited data less than a week uh, but quarterback 26 is where he's going i think that's fine again he's not exciting but you know he can he can you know de- definitely scores a top 20 quarterback if only because of the weapons he has here uh, Christian McCaffrey, of course, number two overall, right behind Jonathan Taylor, right ahead of Cooper Cup. I think that's an appropriate level. I think there's a higher ceiling for him even than Jonathan Taylor. I'd yep. probably split picks between them. In full PPR, I would definitely favor Christian McCaffrey over Jonathan Taylor. I would still favor Cooper Cup over both of them if I'm picking mm-hmm. in the first spot a bunch of times. But, you know, if you have 10 picks, I wouldn't go yeah. 50% for any of those three guys, I guess. Yeah. McCaffrey Taylor and cup should, should be the top three picks in, in, in every draft. I think um, the half PPR does hurt McCaffrey a bit. We, we actually have him as our RB two behind Taylor and half PPR. McCaffrey is our RB one in full PPR. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned tight ends. It's Tommy tremble who could be interesting if the team hadn't re-signed Ian Thomas. That's his last name, right? Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm trying to forget that he even exists. <laughs> they paid him. Like it wasn't just a, okay, we'll get you off the market. They paid him before free agency even began, even though he's basically just a blocker. Yep. No interest in either of these guys for me. So let's move on to the new Orleans saints, Jared, big coaching changes for this one. Yeah. I don't think there's a team in the NFL with with more questions right now than the saints. And it starts with the coaching staff after Sean Payton retired. He had been the saints head coach since 2006. Um, The saints did opt for continuity in replacing Sean Payton, they hired Dennis Allen as head coach. He's been the Saints defensive coordinator since 2015. And Pete Carmichael is staying on as the Saints offensive coordinator. He's been in that position since 2009. Of course, you know, the question when we get situations situa- situations like this is, you know, how much of the offense did Carmichael really have control over and how much was it, of, you know, Sean Payton's offense. So I, I do think Carmichael is probably going to try to keep things similar, but um, we'll see how that goes because I do think, you know, Payton is, is one of the best play callers in the NFL. It's also fair to wonder what the offense even looks like post Drew Brees, because we haven't had a full season of that yet. We had a season of it last year where it was broken up, you know, with Jameis Winston's midseason injury. So there's a lot of guessing as to what this offense will look like, what it will do run pass split wise. And I think how you guess on it comes down a lot to what the ADPs are, which we'll certainly get to. Where are you at for projecting run pass split here? (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, last year's Saints finished 30th in pass rate and 19th in situation neutral pass rate. They were a bit pass heavier in the six full games Jameis Winston played. They were So they were 50% situation neutral pass for the season, 52.2% in Winston's six full games. So I do think that makes sense. You know, if Winston's healthy, they're going to throw a bit more this season. Um, I have them at 56% pass this year, which is, you know, still below league average, but up about five percentage points from where they finished last season. Yeah, I think that's a solid range to put it. They certainly made some additions to the passing game uh, versus last year, which we'll get to. And let's start with that quarterback, Jameis Winston, who they did resign in the offseason despite the ACL tear. 
Big passing numbers from him the last time he had a full season as a starter in Tampa Bay. QB3 in total points that year. QB14 in points per pass attempt. Last year was 13th in points per game among his healthy games. Second in points per pass attempt. Big reason for that was an 8.7% touchdown rate, which is not likely to happen again. We'll see, again, exactly what this offense looked like because a lot of what has driven Jameis Winston's fantasy numbers in the past has been high pass volume. And I'm not sure that this offense is going to do that. Maybe it'll get pushed more toward that if they are in some trailing game scripts, which they certainly look capable of. And Winston, yeah. So last year, again, it was only six full games, but he was a boomer bust fantasy option. He had two top five finishes last year, but he was 25th or worse than three of those other six games. Um, of course, we'll have to keep an eye on the knee <clears throat> injury. Winston, uh, Halloween, ACL, MCL, and meniscus injuries for Winston. So, you know, he's going to be about 11 months removed from those, you know, 10 and a half, 11 months removed from those when the 2022 season kicks off. He was on the field for OTAs, um, was held out of team drills but uh, it does sound like the saints expect him to be ready to go for training camp and as long, again as long as he has no setbacks um you know he, he should be this team starter and it really shouldn't be an issue by the time week one rolls around and certainly the way that they treated the position this offseason looks like they want him and expect him to be the starter this year traditionally quarterbacks have fared well versus other positions in keeping production up after acl tears so we shouldn't overrate that factor but it's definitely a concern and a challenge in him producing this year you know beyond him being in what's still a new situation, even though he's been with the team a couple years now, especially with new wide receivers around him. Worth noting, too, they signed Andy Dalton to back him up, which to me seems like an upgrade over Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill as the backup last year. And it seems like the Saints believe that, too, because they let Simeon walk and they moved Taysom Hill to tight end. Yep, for sure. Running back Alvin Kamara is the big one. Missed four games last year, still finished eighth in total PPR points at the position, just 17th in PPR points per touch. Caught fewer passes, lost some efficiency last year, nearly 1.0 yards per carry behind his previous low. It was a situation where you would expect a guy to be less efficient. He was certainly very much that last season. Yeah, there there are definitely reasons to be concerned about Kamara going forward. I mean, you, you mentioned the knee injury last year. I don't know how much that had to do with the drop in efficiency, but he did finish with career lows in yards per carry, PFF rushing grade, PFF receiving grade, football outsiders rushing DVOA, all career lows. But, you know, the fantasy production was still there, as you mentioned, um, seventh in PPR points per game. He was third in expected PPR points per game, uh, second in expected half PPR points per game, career high 18.5 carries per game for Kamara. That was, you know, his previous career high was around 13 carries. So he definitely took on a much bigger workload. So, I mean, if he's going to get that type of volume, you know, he's he, he's going to pay off, especially where he's going. But then you know, on top of all this, we have the suspension possibility, maybe likelihood at this point. I think, that, you know, the question is, when is the suspension going to come? Because he has a hearing scheduled for August 1st. You know, but th that's just a hearing. That's not even the start of the, of the court case. And the NFL does tend to wait on this stuff to play out before suspending him. So, again, I think a suspension's coming. It sounds like it's going to be, you know, at least six games. But when when that comes is the issue. You know, drafters are assuming it's going to come this year because his ADP is, you know, down in, into the late third round now. So I've, it's been, it's, I've, I found it tough to pass on Kamara if I can get him in the late third round, just, you know, for the possibility that, you know, he, he does get in all 17 games this season. I mean, I would call a suspension a possibility more than a likelihood. As you mentioned, they have a hearing in early August. That's mm -hmm. a pretty early phase 
of a trial. And especially when you look at the fact that this incident happened way back in January or early February in Las Vegas, and now they're still at that early phases of the trial. I think the only way that we get a suspension during the season at this point is if that video that's rumored to be out there of yeah. the assault emerges. If that happens, the NFL will be like, oh, now we, we, now we realize how serious it is. We're going to go ahead and suspend them. Short of that, I don't think we're going to see league movement on this until the court case progresses. So as of right now, I'm going to treat Alvin Kamara as though he is playing a full season, you know, maybe work in a slight downgrade, but without knowing the possibility that he gets suspended at all. And then the length of that suspension, because it's tough for me to imagine them suspending him six games with nothing to go on in terms of the legal outcome of the case and no overt proof, which we know the NFL cares about. I'm treating him like full season Alvin Kamara and drafts right now. Well, he's a massive value then, I think, if, if we get a full season out of him. Yeah, I, I do think that the video is the, the big thing here. And if it, if it hasn't come out yet, I'm not sure it's done, at least publicly. So, yeah, again, I, I, you know, I, I think especially in these big tournaments where we're looking for upside, we're looking for, you know, guys that are going to you know be league winners, especially down the stretch. I think, I mean, Kamara in round three, after, you know, if you can pair him with two other studs, I think, you know, that, 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 that's, that's very enticing to me. Yeah. And the other thing is New Orleans looks like it wants to keep giving him the ball as much as it did last year because they didn't really add anything. Mark Ingram is still the number two. Uh, Abram Smith is the big addition behind him, and he is an undrafted rookie. There is some support out there for Mark Ingram. And honestly, I think it's to a surprising level because after he came over from the Texans last season, he looked better than I expected when back with the Saints. But it's important to remember that with the 2020 Ravens, Mark Ingram ranked third among their running backs in carries per game, also behind Lamar Jackson, fourth among Baltimore running backs in yards per carry that season. So just versus his teammates, he was far less effective than J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, even less effective than Justice Hill and Justice Hill's minimal exposure, eight targets across 11 games for that team. So they weren't throwing him the ball at all. With last year's Texans, Ingram led the team in carries per game before moving back to New Orleans, but trailed Rex Burkhead and David Johnson in yards per carry. Also trailed those guys in receptions per game, averaged 3.4 yards per catch. Yards per catch, yards per carry with the Saints last year, also both below his career averages. So this is, if you like Mark Ingram here, you know, if, if it's late enough, fine. But if you're getting yourself excited about him, I think this is a matter of some recency bias and some overrating the situation because there's still room for the Saints to add a veteran before the season begins. There is, and that'd be the issue for Ingram. I, I think he the the case for him now is he's a volume play if the depth chart remains the same and if Kamara, you know, gets that suspension because, you know, Ingram did get, he, he had two healthy games last year with Alvin Kamara out. He had 14 carries and four catches in the first one. 16 carries and six catches in the second. Um, you know, we know, we know he knows the offense and yeah, there's just not much behind him right now, but I'm with you. I mean, there's not much left in Ingram's tank. He turns 33 in December. He wasn't very efficient in either team he, he played for last season. So uh, I'm not, I'm not super excited about him, but I, I see the case where, you know, this is a guy who, you know, you might get six games of, you know, you know, top 20 level volume, at least, even if he's going to be inefficient with it. 
We'll talk about some of the guys around him in ADP, but I also think there would be less target share available to him if he were the starter this time around, because this is a team that's significantly upgraded at wide receiver and has Jameis Winston, who doesn't like throwing to running backs versus what (laughs) other quarterbacks do. He would much rather throw it downfield, even if it means waiting until somebody wrecks his knee. Abram Smith, I mentioned in passing, but he's like the other guy to know about and certainly don't overrate him, but interesting. He had one year of strong production at Baylor, where he kind of bounced between running back and linebacker before that final season. The team did have David Johnson in for a visit, hasn't signed him. So they're shopping the market. They're obviously not overly interested in what's available though right now. They're they're probably waiting to get the Camara news, I think. I think if Camara is suspended, they're they're, going to have to add something else to this backfield. Most definitely. On the pass catching front, you know, beyond the passes caught by the running backs, Michael Thomas is the biggest name. And of course, the question is, how good is the ankle? Jared, I think it's not especially encouraging that we're getting videos like that look like he's rehabbing it. You know, like the one foot box jumps, um, the running routes on air. He had no OTAs, no mini camp this year. He's been out for a while. He missed all of last season and much of 2020 with that ankle injury. It's important to keep in mind that he's just now a little bit more than a year removed from surgery on that ankle because he delayed that for a while, finally had it in June 2021. So just now he's getting past that 12-month mark from that particular recovery. Last time we saw him, career lows in yards per out run and catch rate. He was playing through a high ankle sprain at that point. Before that, of course, Michael Thomas was a monster. He was, yeah. And I, I, a lot of that was volume based. And, you know, he had the awesome chemistry with, with Drew Brees. I mean, la- last time we saw Michael Thomas, Sean Payton was still the Saints head coach and Drew Brees was still the Saints quarterback. Like that, you know, that's how long it's been. And, yeah, I, I don't know. The a- ankle stuff is scary. Um, again, there's a lot of turnover that he's going to be dealing with on this Saints team. But like, he's also cheap in drafts and, he was, you know, the fantasy wide receiver one for a while there. He's not even 30 years old yet. So I, I get the upside, but man, he's, he's been a tough name for me to click recently, at least just because, you know, there, there really hasn't been much positive news. Like we, you know, we've heard, you know, he, he should be ready for camp. He should be ready for week one, but I, until we see him on the field, um, it's, 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 it's been tough for me to draft Michael Thomas. Yeah. I think ADP is important here, but we'll leave that for a few minutes. We'll talk about the other guys that they've added. Jarvis Landry signed with them this off season and late in free agency. I was surprised that he lingered on the market that long, even beyond the NFL draft. Jarvis Landry comes off seven straight years of target shares over 23%. That's across two franchises, 25% plus in three of his four Cleveland seasons, over 26% in three of his four Miami seasons. Before last year, he had only missed one career game with injury. Longer average target depths in Cleveland than he had in Miami, too. That included two years over 10 yards uh, in dot, And that's especially worth noting now that Jameis Winston is his quarterback because he does like to throw downfield. And Landry isn't even 30 years old yet. Um, so I, I like betting on a bounce back here. I, it is worth noting that you mentioned he lasted so long at a free agency. And he signed just a one-year $3 million deal with the Saints. I don't think there was a ton of interest for Landry on the open market, but again, it's, 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 this is such a tough wide receiver core to figure out because if all these guys are healthy, it's, it's crowded and you have, you know, Kamara in there commanding targets too. It's tough to get excited about any of these guys, but you know, if Michael Thomas isn't ready to go and, you know, Jarvis Landry could really be a, a big target share guy right out of the gate. Cause his other competition for targets is a rookie. 
Yeah. And what we need is an extra motivated Jarvis Landry, who has already been collecting targets and multiple stops so far. And Jameis Winston's not a a great quarterback, especially accuracy wise, but his career completion rate, 61.2% is very close to Baker Mayfield, 61.6. So similar quarterbacks on that front uh, to what Landry was working with in Cleveland. Chris Olave, the other big addition, the 11th overall pick, what was he the third wide receiver off the board here? And the Saints moved up five spots to take him 11th overall. So they obviously love this kid. Um, nice career at Ohio State. I mean, he spent four seasons there. His junior season was his best, 104 yards per game. Uh, that was across seven games. That was the COVID-shortened season. Uh, a lot of a top 12 in the nation in both PFF receiving grade and yards per route run that season. Took a step back last year, which is slightly concerning for me. I mean, he had he had tough target competition with Garrett Wilson, who was you know, a fellow first-round pick. Jackson Smith and Jigba, who, you know, might be the first wide receiver off the board in next year's draft um, and three year lows in PFF receiving grade and yards per route run for Olave last year. So that's the concern, but I still like him. I thought Olave was probably the most NFL ready wide receiver in this rookie class. I don't think his ceiling extends as high as a Drake London or a Traylon Burks or even a Garrett Wilson. Um, but I do think he's ready to make an immediate impact. And again, there's definitely a chance he can do that in new Orleans, especially if Michael Thomas isn't ready to go. Yeah. There's enough to like here long-term despite the step back last year, still went ahead of Jamison Williams, Jahan Dotson and Traylon Burks in the NFL draft. His immediate outlook will depend pretty significantly on how Michael Thomas looks and what we can expect from Michael Thomas this season. I don't think there's really anything else worth noting at wide receiver. You can like Marquez Callaway if you want, but he's going to need somebody to get hurt or stay hurt in the case of Michael Thomas for him to find a spot. So I want to move on to tight end because Adam Troutman, I think is worth remembering at this point. He had a very disappointing second season, but it went basically as poorly as it possibly could for him. And it started in the off season. He had surgery for assist, whatever a polondial cyst is. It basically stopped his training for a month. Then just as he was about to get back to it, he had appendicitis, which meant another surgery, another three weeks of not training. And he said, quote, it was like a seven week span where I couldn't do anything. And we mentioned that with Clyde Edwards Elaire on the AFC West show. But that's the kind of thing that's easy to overlook when we get back to football, because it's not a knee injury that we're watching to see how his knee is. It's something that just kept him from training for basically two months and in his first full NFL offseason. So that's the time when a player should be like just learning how to prepare for an NFL season and getting in a full NFL offseason of preparation work. He missed that. Then after that stretch, he sprained an ankle in August, which slowed his start to the season, had an MCL sprain in November, which cost him three games, then had a positive COVID test, which cost him a fourth game. So basically, Adam Troutman had no chance to be worthwhile last year. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, for the few games he was at least relatively healthy last season, he was getting the playing time he wanted. You know, he was playing 80 plus percent of the Saints offensive snaps. He was running pass routes on you know 70 plus percent of the pass play. So you like to see that, you know, this was a guy that the saints obviously love. Remember this was the, this was the guy the saints traded literally the rest of their draft for to move up in the third round and take him back in 2020 Um, had a nice college career at Dayton. He was actually PFF's top receiving tight end in 2019. Um, So, you know, still a prospect I'm interested in. I just, the situation just isn't good. I don't think, I mean, this isn't going to be a super pass heavy offense quarterback play might be iffy. And then it's just so crowded at wide receiver and Camara commanding targets. So, you know, tough, tough to really get Troutman to a 
good place, you know, target projection wise to really mm-hmm. like him in fantasy. But you know, he's cheap in drafts. You know, he's what, tight end 39 in underdog ADP. So he's a guy I don't mind, you know, if you're looking for a third tight end with your very last pick, taking a shot on him. Because I do think there's some receiving upside to, to Adam Troutman. It was like the modified Ricky Williams trade to go get yeah. Um, yeah. Adam Troutman at the end of that. Yeah, I think that he's more, I think he's interesting for best ball. I think he's interesting for tight end premium for FFPC. And we'll get to ADP. Uh, in just a minute, but it's it's worth noting that the team does seem to like him. The tight ends coach calls him one of the better blocking tight ends in the league, and that doesn't help us for fantasy, but it does help a guy stay on the field, and it certainly helps a guy in the eyes of his coaches who ultimately control how much opportunity he gets. The coach also said he was starting to make the plays as a receiver that they expect him to make right before that November knee injury. So Troutman's going to be a guy for me to watch in the training camp reports to see what people are saying about him, what coaches are saying about him. But moving on to the overall ADP review, Jameis Winston is at QB 19 on underdog. He's ahead of Matt Ryan, ahead of Daniel Jones, two and a half rounds ahead of Ryan Tannehill and a little less than a round behind Trevor Lawrence. So when you put him in that range and put the challenge of coming back from the knee injury, you know, is there week to week, ceiling for Jameis Winston yeah. yeah but he's not going to be a standout guy for me in terms of even best ball value no yeah I mean I don't I don't like the value there quarterback 19 I think the argument for drafting Jameis Winston is you know all these receivers are pretty cheap I think you know Alvin Kamara again in round three is a guy I like so he is easily stackable uh, but you know in, in a vacuum at quarterback 19 that's 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 I think higher than you should be going right now I would definitely need three quarterbacks to be oh, yeah. liking Winston on my roster. Alvin Kamara, RB15, you mentioned. I think he's a smash pick there. Right. Um, the assault case, like I said, doesn't look like it's going to play out ahead of the season. So I think the biggest risk here is that at some point this video comes out like it did for Kareem Hunt, like it did for Ray Rice. Like that's the only thing I think yeah. at this point that's going to force NFL movement on this case. Yeah, again, if we're talking these best ball, I mean, you, you, you can't draft scared in these best ball tournaments. You know, the vast majority of your teams are going to lose. You know, they're going to are going to win nothing. Um, so you got to just draft for the upside. And I think you know, Camara in round three could be a guy who you know is is key to you know potentially winning one of these things. And the closer we get to the season, I think the the higher he's going to climb in ADP because people will start to believe that he's not going to be mm-hmm. suspended, especially once we get past that court hearing in early August. I think that'll be a level where, you know, we'll get reports like, oh, we had this hearing. It didn't really do anything in terms of advancing the case. It's just a uh, procedural step. And people will be like, oh, I guess Alvin Kamara is going to be on the field week one. I guess I should go back to drafting him. Mark Ingram up to RB 54, as I mentioned, you know, if you want to take Mark Ingram in round 15, fine, but he's ahead of Marlon Mack, Jamal Williams, both Washington backups. He's three rounds ahead of Sony Michelle. I don't think that Mark Ingram is better than Sony Michelle straight up either in terms of what we should expect play wise or opportunity. So I would rather have Sony Michelle, especially at their relative cost. And I would rather have all those other guys I mentioned than Mark Ingram. Yeah, again, I, I get the case for Ingram, but he's not a guy I've been I'm t- I've been taking much. I mean, again, you need you need the Alvin Kamara suspension, I think, for Ingram to have a chance to, to pay off. And he, again, even in that case, I think New Orleans could and and should add you know something else to that backfield that you know might threaten Ingram's lead job. Yeah, I think even in the case that Alvin Kamara is not around for a significant stretch of games, at that point you get some help from Mark Ingram. You don't get league winning upside. Yep, agreed. Wide receiver, Michael Thomas, wide receiver 39 on underdog right now. Chris Alave, wide receiver 47. Jarvis Landry, wide receiver 59. 
I think all of those guys are going late enough to be justifiable. And I think as we transition from best ball to more lineup setting, I think Jarvis Landry is probably the best pick among those guys, especially in full PPR, just for what we can reasonably hope for, let's say, as opposed to project in terms of target share among them. Yeah, I mean, I, I said two minutes ago that you can't draft scared in these best ball tournaments. I mean, Michael Thomas at wide receiver 39, we could look back in six months and you know think that that was ridiculous. Now, again, he might be close to a zero if you know the ankle's still an issue or whatever it is um but he, he could also be a, a big profit at that price so he, he's worth taking shots on i'm gonna do though i think I, I think landry is the best pure value i mean he's not he's not a best ball type of guy like i, I don't think he's going to be a, a big spike week player um man at wide receiver 59 i mean just as you mentioned the targets he's earned throughout his career if he can even you know be up near a 20 percent target share in new orleans at wide receiver 59 he's he's a big value I think best ball tournament wise, I would still favor Michael Thomas most among the three because the ceiling is the highest. And at wide receiver 39, there's limited risk. Uh, I think if we're looking at like a a full season best ball format where you're just competing against 11 other teams or so, they're all kind of even in that case, because I think there's more risk with Michael Thomas. I think even though we don't like the spike week potential of Landry, I would probably take him first among the three in terms of value there. Chris Olave certainly has upside. But I think it really depends on Michael Thomas's status. Plus, yeah. Yeah, how I guess just how much target share he can get overall, because I'm not really sure what the target share outlook is there. Even if I, I'm not even sure he has 20% target share upside if Michael Thomas goes down at some point. Right. Yeah. The thing I do like about Olave is we know Winston likes to throw deep and he, you know, Landry's not a downfield guy. Michael Thomas is not a downfield guy. Olave has that, you know, four, three, nine speed. And he, he's a, he was a good downfield. Uh, wide receiver at at Ohio state. So he does seem like a good fit with Jameis Winston. And he might be the best best ball tournament stack with Jameis Winston based on where those two are going. Adam Troutman, the only other guy I'll mention tight end 39 on underdog. So basically undrafted tight end 32 on FFPC. We have him at tight end 28. So it's not like we're excited about Adam Troutman, but obviously, you know, he's just plainly a value pick and we have him tight end 28 across those formats. Not a guy that we're expecting a lot from, but, there are multiple paths to upside here. I think he has upside in target share potential. We really have no idea what kind of target share the Saints want to give him because we have basically a new quarterback, basically a new coaching staff. You know, you mentioned it's the same OC, but Sean Payton's gone. So we don't know how much of a difference that makes. There's a chance that the Saints just throw more in general because of the additions that they made at wide receiver because of having Jameis Winston around for longer. There's a chance that Jameis Winston is closer to the Tampa Bay version of himself. So I think all of those avenues just add up to a, like a why not upside for Adam Troutman as a tight end three. And again, if he's going to get the playing time he got last season, you know, 80% of the snaps, 70% of the routes, like getting getting that in the last round alone is worth it. I do think we should men- mention Taysom Hill. I think he's interesting. He's listed as a tight end on underdog, which I think helps his value. Like I, I don't know what his role. I don't think he's going to be a real factor at tight end. But if he has, you know, if he gets a few red zone targets, they could still use him in a gadget role too around the goal line. And then, you know, what if Winston has a setback, gets hurt again? Like, I don't know, maybe they decide to go with Taysom instead of Andy Dalton. I, I, there, there's paths for Taysom Hill. He's going in the 18th round on underdog, and he's listed as a tight end. Like, I'd like him as a third tight end. I just think there's, if you can get four or five starting weeks out of him, which I think is definitely possible. Now, again, it, it doesn't take much tight end. If you score a touchdown, you're probably going to be a top 10 top 12 tight end for the week. And, you know, Taysom can score touchdowns in, in a few different ways. To me, Taysom Hill is only interesting in a best ball tournament as a tight end three, where you have those 
week to week playoffs at the end. If it's full season counting, I'm not interested, but if it's week to week and we're looking for somebody who can give us a big week in the playoffs and be a difference there, then I'm interested. I, I, I don't think that he's a, a likely guy to give us four to five starting weeks, like top 12 level tight end weeks. But you know, there is that big game potential because no other tight end has the chance to start at quarterback. Yeah. I still just, think I, I still think Andy Dalton is going to be the backup. But let me what, what else yeah. do you have to say about Taysom Hill? I was just thinking there's a little bit of Cordell or Patterson vibes with Taysom Hill. He, you know, CPAT was a guy we were, we were taking at the end of these underdog drafts uh, last year, not really knowing what his role is going to be. You know, and that that worked out better than anyone could have imagined. I don't think Taysom Hill is going to have nearly that much value, but he's just interesting. And he's even a way to differentiate because he doesn't even get drafted in all these these underdog drafts, you know, so you might only be owned in 50% of these, which, which helps if you're, you know, at the end of it, at the end of these tournaments. Yeah. I think the biggest issue for me is I don't think there's a path with a, ha- a healthy Adam Troutman. I don't think there's a path for Taysom Hill to even be their number one tight end. And yeah, I agree. that makes Adam Troutman interesting to me. And the place that I've been especially interested is stacking Adam Troutman and Andy Dalton at the very end of the puppy superflex drafts because both of those guys are on the board to the very end, like to the point that they don't always get drafted. And Jameis Winston's got the knee. You know, I mentioned historically QBs fare better than other positions in terms of coming back from those, but it's still a challenge. And any setback puts Andy Dalton into a lineup with those wide receivers that we mentioned. I think Andy Dalton has been maybe the most overlooked player at any position for the upside in those superflex turnings. Yeah, I haven't gotten into the Superflex tournaments because I don't want to have to draft Andy Dalton. So I'm, I'm good That's there. That's the thing, though. It's a, those are the different <laughs> tournaments. People, there's, there's, we're yeah, still I, I early in best ball tournament life. So when you go from that to this other format, that's, yeah. there's even less data out there. I mean, if we get to the end of the season, it's like, holy crap, Andy Dalton was the guy to own. I'm going to be sitting pretty, Jared. I'll buy you <laughs> seven beers. Buy, buy me a couple beers and an Andy Dalton jersey. <laughs> there I'll you be go. happy. We'll wrap things up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and another big coaching change on this front. Bruce Arians is out as the head man. Who knows ultimately how much that had to do with any relationship with Tom Brady. They can say what they want. It really doesn't matter at this point because he's out. Todd Bowles moves from defensive coordinator to head coach like we saw with New Orleans. OC Byron Leftwich is still around. Got some head coach interviews, but he's still with the Bucs in that OC role. And he stays on top of an offense that finished third, third, and second in points the past three years with Leftwich as OC and Bruce Arians as head coach, third, seventh, and second in yards. One of those years was with Jameis Winston before Tom Brady arrived for the last two. So we talked about Sean Payton leaving and not knowing how big a role he played. Bruce Arians brought Byron Leftwich with him from Arizona. So clearly he believes in Byron Leftwich. Tom Brady has talked up Byron Leftwich. And even if he needs consultation with Bruce Arians, Arians is still in the front office for the Bucs. So he's around (laughs) if he needs to give a phone call. Um, So I don't think there's any reason to expect any downgrade in this offense just from that particular factor. No, and just like reading tea leaves, it does sound like, especially over the last couple of seasons with Brady, that Leftwich has kind of been the man running the offense. I mean, Arians has a long history of, you know, running solid offenses. I think he certainly had a part in it, but I, I'm not, I'm not expecting much of, of a drop off play calling wise, efficiency wise with, with Arians gone. I think left, which is, it has kind of been the guy there. This was the league's most pass heavy offense last year. It was the third most pass heavy offense the year before it has trended toward more pass heaviness over the past few years in neutral pass rate. They went from eighth in 2019 to sixth in 2020 to third last year. 
Does that change with Tom Brady a year older? Rob Gronkowski supposedly retired. Chris Godwin facing a tough recovery from a knee injury? Maybe, um, but I'm not going to downgrade my expectation. I landed on 63.5% pass, 36.5% run, slightly down from 2021, but still high versus the rest of the league. Yep, 63.5% pass for me um, like that. And like this, this has been a fast-paced offense, fourth and second in situation neutral pace. They were fourth in total offensive plays last year. So it's, it's kind of everything you want out of a fantasy offense. Lots of plays, lots of passing. Tom Brady led the league in passing yards per game at age 44. So not just, you know, total passing yards. Uh, second highest passing yards per game of his career. First time at 300-plus passing yards per game since 2012 league high in attempts completions passing yards touchdowns highest completion rate since 2007 six plus percent touchdown rate in each of his two tampa seasons over the past two years only aaron Rodgers has more total touchdown passes brady has eight more than number three patrick mahomes yeah and he's finished second in pff passing grade in each of the last two seasons and what is he now like 55 years old or something so he, he there's been no drop off there's been no drop off in his play. I mean, the the concern, and, and I, I'm done like predicting a you know potential decline in Brady. I think he's going to just keep playing at a high level until he finally decides to retire. That's kind of what it feels like at this point. But you know, the concern is Antonio Brown gone, Rob Gronkowski gone at, at least for now. I mean, we we can talk about Gronk. I still think there's some chance he ends up coming back at some point this season. But but uh, AB and Gronk combined for 25% of Brady's yards last season, 23% of Brady's touchdowns. And then on top of that, as you, as you mentioned, we have Chris Godwin, who looks likely to miss at least the start of the season. He accounted for 20% of Brady's yards last season. So you have, you know, nearly, nearly half of Brady's passing yards last season are not going to be on the field, at least to start this year. Yeah. So we'll talk about how that, works with his ADP in a few minutes, but moving on to running back. Now they've got Leonard Fournette back. He hit the open market. He visited the Patriots, uh, maybe among other teams, but he then re-signed for three years, $21 million, basically two guaranteed seasons for 12 million beats the one-year contracts. He had each of the past two years with the bucks, 2 million, then 3.25 million. So clearly after the year in which he emerged and took over the backfield from Ronald Jones, the team wants him to lead it again. Um, what else you got on Leonard Fournette's last season before we move ahead to this year's outlook? I mean, he was he was just awesome in in in, in real fantasy production, fourth in PPR points per game, in you know volume, he was fourth in expected PPR points per game, and really he was even better. Remember, he started the season kind of in a timeshare with Ronald Jones the first three weeks, from weeks four to fourteen before Fournette got hurt, he was second in expected fantasy points per game. So just an awesome situation when you look at the touchdown opportunities in Tampa and then the, the pass catching opportunities. I mean, you know, Tom Brady has always targeted his running backs at an above average rate. And that that's continued with, uh, you know, Fournette and these, these other bucks running backs. And, and yeah, he, he returns to about the same situation. The question is Rashad white, what type of role he's going to have as a rookie, but I just think Brady likes Leonard Fournette and that, that just matters. I don't get into that stuff often when projecting but we've seen you know brady wants someone he can trust back there trust as a pass catcher trust as a pass protector you know that, that that's kind of for that so i think it's, it's going to take a lot i think for for Nett to lose much work to, the, to this rookie coming in yeah i agree i think that's a bigger factor with tom brady than it is with others and we look at what's around him there's just not a reason to bet against leonard fournette keeping that same role now the concern, I think, for Leonard Fournette, and it's, you know, it's easy to joke about, but it's definitely worth watching as he hit minicamp at what he said was, quote, 240-something. 
So that sounds like high 240s to me because I doubt that he really didn't know what it was. And that's 15 to 20 pounds over what he says the weight is that he plans to be playing at. I'm not saying it's time to worry yet, but it's not a good sign that he has not been clearly working out that hard so far in this <laughs> offseason. And it's especially concerning when you talk about a guy who's had plenty of lower body injuries, had a hamstring injury last year that put him on IR late in the season, ankle sprain twice in 2020, hamstring in 2018. Um, through, his, through his five seasons, he's played 63 of a possible 81 games, um, has had just one year where he didn't miss at least three games. And, and as you mentioned, he he just got paid, which you know, we, we've seen guys kind of tail off after that happens. I don't know if you saw, there was a video, I think it was last week of, of Fournette on a treadmill with a few other NFLers, and he, he still looked a little a little soft on that treadmill. So um, I don't know, we're going to, Lenny, we're going to need a uh, a shirtless pick in like mid-August to make sure you're ready to go. Because it, yeah, it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on once we get the training camp. Yeah, I'm going to be more interested in his training camp picks than I will be in seeing more pictures of AJ Dillon's quads <laughs> or any part of Saquon Barkley's body. Yep. Agreed. You mentioned Rashad white. He's definitely the most interesting second back in Tampa Bay. The competition's Keyshawn Vaughn, Gio Bernard. I like the upside in Rashad white very easily over those guys. We'll see what, what happens in training camp, what we hear about, where exactly guys are on the depth chart. But Rashad White, a third-round pick, was the fourth running back drafted this year. Only had one full season at Arizona State because of that 2020 COVID-shortened year. Was the lead back that year as well, but we only got four games. So tough to really gauge much from that. 5.5 yards per carry last year, 10.6 yards per catch, 21.7% share of the team receiving yards last season. That more than doubled the next highest share among all running backs in his draft class. So that's probably what we like the most just for his fantasy outlook, whether you're talking about long-term or this season, is that he's clearly at the high end of receiving among that class. Also then ran a 77th percentile 40-yard dash, 87th percentile burst score. So a guy that looked pretty good on tape, catches a lot of passes, and then tested well. Yeah, exciting prospect. Uh, I was happy he got the third round draft capital. I wasn't, you know, sure what the NFL thought about him with the kind of that limited college resume. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's a perfect fit. His receiving ability makes him a great fit in this Brady-led offense. Now, again, I, I don't think White is going to push Fournette for much work. So I don't expect White to be a standalone fantasy option. I do think he could be a league winner if Fournette goes down because I think White would be the guy, maybe not taking over 100% of Fournette's workload, but he could take over 75% of it and, you know, still probably scores a lower-end RB1, at least as a strong RB2. So, um, you know, when, when you're looking, he's going late enough in drafts so you can get him in the RB40 range. He, he He's a nice pick in these best ball tournaments because, again, if something happens to Fournette, White has that that upside you, that, that, that we're looking for. Yeah, I would say that he has more receiving upside in terms of efficiency and production. You know, we'll see about targets than Fournette. Mm-hmm. I think he's a, a yep. probably a better pass catcher than Leonard Fournette is. Yep, I agree. Speaking of other te- the team's other pass catchers now, well, let's start with Chris Godwin. Even though he's not close to the first guy in draft, he's kind of the, I don't know, linchpin here or keystone or whatever. There's not much precedent for what we can expect from wide receivers in these late season ACL tears. I looked back among the wide receiver ACL tears and it's mostly like summertime 
or early in the season. There have not been a lot of wide receivers, at least significant ones, that mm-hmm. tore their ACLs late in the season. It was the very end of the year for Chris Godwin. Nine-month recovery puts him in late September before he's you know back to 100% just in terms yeah. of recovery from the surgery. So for me, it's tough to do anything in terms of setting up what to expect or even to whether to draft Chris Godwin until I know something about him being on the field and the team's expectations. Yeah, torn right ACL and MCL for Godwin. He actually didn't have surgery until January 3rd. And, you know, that I guess, you know, I've been reading a, lot, a bunch from, you know, some of our um, doctor friends of what to expect. It's, it's, you know, it's nine months from surgery when these guys, you know, it's kind of like their best case for when they could come back. So that puts Godwin at October 3rd. Um, week five kicks off on October 9th. So week five seems like the best case scenario for Godwin's debut. Now the, the um, pup list rules change this year. If you land on the reserve pup list to start the season, you're out four games. So you know, that that's the four games Godwin would miss there. So I, I expect him to land on the pup list. And so we'll know at that point, he's out the first four games. And I think again, week five is best case scenario. So that, no, that's obviously the downside with Godwin. You're going to be missing him for the first quarter of the season. And then, you know, his, Production and efficiency is definitely in question coming off such a serious injury. The up, the upside is, you know, we're talking about a guy who was eighth in PPR points per game before his injury last season. He was seventh in expected fantasy points per game. Uh, he was top 10 among wide receivers and targets. And, you know, that, that was with Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski on the field for a lot of that time. I, I still think there's a chance. And again, my argument for Godman has been taking him in these best ball tournaments when all the money's late in the season. And that's what matters most. Like if you can get a team, to the end of these basketball tournaments and you have a Chris Godwin who at that point, you know, should be close to hundred percent. Um, that's, that, that's kind of the upside, but I, I think he's definitely less attractive when we're talking about, you know, standard home league, standard lineup setting leagues. I would, I'm still not that interested even in terms of best ball tournaments, because I think hundred percent is hundred percent recovered from the surgery on his knee. I don't think it's fair to expect him to be a hundred percent Chris Godwin at any point this season, how close he is to that. I have no idea how much work he's getting and whether there are any setbacks once he does get back on the field, I have no idea. So I would just, even at the level, we'll talk about his ADP in a minute, but even at the level where he's going now, I'm, I'm more interested in other guys that are, that are more known entities. All right, we'll move on to Mike. We'll move on to Mike <laughs> Evans. We've, ta- we've talked too much about Chris. I'm, I'm sick of talking about Chris Godwin. I know a lot of it's been behind yeah. the scenes, but <laughs> yeah, we got to bring some of it out from behind the curtain to let people yeah. know. So Mike Evans is is healthy, could benefit from Chris Godwin being out. Two seasons with Tom Brady so far, the two best touchdown rates of his career. And, you know, this time of year, we always look at guys who are regression candidates for stuff like that when they have high touchdown rates. That's just who Mike Evans is. And I mean, we've seen times in the past where his touchdown rate regresses. That was also with Jameis Winston. The past two years, Mike Evans has tied for sixth, tied for 10th in end zone targets. He has ranked fourth and first in touchdowns on those end zone targets. Tom Brady has led the league in pass attempts from inside the 10 yard line each of the past two years, according to pro football reference. So things are set up for Mike Evans to continue in that area. That is the biggest driver for his fantasy point upside. The unknown of course here is whether his uh, target share climb significantly for the time that Chris Godwin's out and maybe even when Chris Godwin's back, assuming that he's not quite back to peak Chris Godwin. That's the part that you don't know. And it's tough to project and can, can get dangerous to project. So I I guess Jared, the question is, is Mike Evans 
overrated right now in case he does stay at like 18 or 19 percent target share because he's going among guys that are like that are in 24 25 plus range yeah i mean that that's the crazy thing he's finished wide receiver 11 wide receiver nine the last two seasons on 17.4 and 16.3 percent target shares those are like wide receiver three level target shares and evans has been scoring as a wide receiver one on them now that's partly because the bucks have thrown so much that you know those target shares it's it's, it's a bigger pie he's drawing from which helps um, and then the touchdowns you mentioned have obviously helped the fantasy scoring. I, you know, I think he's going to get a nice boost in target share. I think it, it's like, you know, where else are these targets going to go? Unless you think, you know, Russell Gage is going to you know, be soaking up 20 plus percent of the targets and Cameron Brate's going to be, you know, seeing what Robert Gronkowski got at tight end. Um, and, and Evans has big target share seasons. He has seasons of 24, 25, 29 and a half and 30 percent target share seasons. You know, it's going way back, you know, before Chris Godwin was even there, but he's been a target hog before. He's good enough to be a target hog. You know, I have him projected at 21% right now, which I still think is on the conservative side. And you know, that that that's projecting Godwin to come back, you know, at the you know closer end of that timeline we talked about. So I I do not think Mike Evans is undervalued. I think he's a guy who, you know, should be going in the second round and probably even, you know, the, the first half of round two of, of fantasy drafts. Yeah. Is there some risk? Sure. But I I think it's appropriate that he's going where he is because he is capable of remaining that high efficiency guy with everything going on around him, including the quarterback that has been his guy for the past two years. Russell Gage was primarily a slot receiver with the Falcons played primarily outside last year, though, for the Falcons team that lost Calvin Ridley for most of the year. The Bucks have touted his ability to play all three positions since signing him. And it sounds like Russell Gage will play primarily outside taking over Antonio Brown's spot when and if Chris Godwin is healthy this season. Yeah, which might not be ideal. I mean, he he just looks and I think plays Merrick a slot receiver. But as you said, you know, he has done it before. Um, and it, it's just a great situation for Gage to be entering here. A pass-heavy offense with Tom Brady with, you know, the questions at wide receiver. I, I started the offseason out on Gage you and the other DS guys have sort of brought me down on Chris Godwin. And that sort of forced me to add more, you know, projected volume for Russell Gage. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of good with where he's going in ADP right now. He's, he's just improved every year. I mean, Gage was a, he was a sixth rounder in 2018 and he was really thought to be like a, a special teamer, uh, but he, he's really improved as a receiver. His PFF grade has climbed each season. He was 30th among 89 qualifying receivers in PFF grade last season. He was 17th in yards per route run. He was 17th in yards, yards per out run on a, a bad Falcons passing game. I mean, compare that to his teammates. Calvin Ridley in his you know limited action la- last year was 61st in yards per out run. Olamide Zacchaeus was 82nd in yards per out run. So, you know, G- Gage has become a nice player. He got, you know, the nice contract from the Bucks, $20 million guaranteed. Tom Brady's been talking him up already. So he's he, he's set up to have a nice fantasy season. I, I'm no longer um, anti-Russell Gage. I don't want to be anti-Russell Gage. The Bucks could have gotten Jarvis Landry for much less money. They probably could and still could sign Julio Jones for much less money, but they gave $10 million a year to Russell Gage. Clearly they like what he brings. And like you said, it's a, an excellent situation. This is also a situation in which we need to at least pay attention to who wins the fourth wide receiver spot. It's just yeah. not clear at this point. I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't even want to bet money on any of them at a low rate. We've got Prashad Perriman, Cyril Grayson, Jalen Darden, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson. The last thing I read was pewter report saying that Brashad Perriman and Cyril Grayson are probably the leaders. 
even that didn't seem like they were strongly behind anybody. I think this is a wide open competition. It's going to depend on how training camp goes. Yeah, I've read that Scotty Miller might be the leader. I've read that Tyler Johnson is the leader and also that Tyler Johnson is a cut candidate. Um, yeah, so so no one knows. I do think it's it's going to matter for at least – for probably just, you know, for as long as Chris Godwin is out. And, that's, again, I think it's pretty likely that's going to be at least the first, first four games of the season. So, you know, maybe deeper lineup setting leagues, DFS, I think, um, you know, whoever wins this number three job is going to be on the field a whole bunch for, you know, one of the best pass offenses in the NFL. Either Scotty Miller or Brashad Perriman can be interesting. We'll see about the other guys. Cyril Grayson had, he flashed last year briefly. Jalen Darden is more of a slot type. So we'll see exactly what the team wants and who they settle on. Scotty Miller is the most interesting to me right now. But again, I'm not going to bet heavily on any individual um, as it stands. Tight end, you know, you mentioned Gronk. Who knows, especially in the same offseason where Tom Brady retired and unretired. It's the second time that Rob Gronkowski has retired. You know, we could say whatever we want. We're all guessing on whether he'll come back or whether he's really done. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I think there's a chance he comes back. And if you believe that, I think he's still worth drafting at least some, like an an underdog or FFPC with one of your last few picks. Um, Again, you know, there's a chance you're taking zeros all season long. But, you know, most of your 18th round picks are going to be zeros or at least not starting for you most of the season and Gronk, you know, still, I think if he comes back, you know, he's, he's still a top 12 fantasy tight end. I would be more interested in taking late Gronk. If we couldn't get David and Joku at tight end 19, Evan Ingram at tight end 23, there's enough value down there that I'm okay with basically not drafting. And we'll you know, we'll see what happens. It's, it's possible that I'm uh, that I end up regretting it, but I would be, I guess most Interested in considering if I already have Tom Brady rostered. Yes, for sure. Cameron Brait is the ostensible replacement, especially if you look at ADP, but he's coming off a career low 52.6% catch rate last year. That of course followed a career high in his first year with Tom Brady career, yo career low yards per target last season. He has also more significantly played less than 40% snap share in three straight seasons, he's had four straight years under 40%. Only two of those years came with Gronk on the team. And last year, Gronk missed five games. So there's been time for Cameron Bray to play more. And the Bucks have not played him more. So I don't think that they really like him that much. I think he's a role player regardless of what's around him. That role is near the goal line. So, you know, it's good for fantasy points per route run but I don't think that there's really a chance that Cameron Brait is a breakout value this year, even if we get no Gronk all season. Well, you know, like you said, Gronk missed five games last season in those, in, in, you know, in, in Brait's defense, OJ Howard did play all five of those games. So he was, you know, splitting time with OJ Howard, but you know, Brait did nothing in those five games without Gronkowski, two catches, 29 yards on six targets, one catch on one target for 12 yards, three catches for 26 yards on four targets, zero catches on four targets and one catch for six yards and a touchdown on three targets. So I, I, I don't, I don't see it with Braid. I think he's, he's a, you know, well below average player at this point. Um, the Bucks did add Kate Otten in the fourth round of this year's draft. I think, you know, he, he could, he could push Braid for a playing time, especially over the second half of the year. Yeah. And breaking through Braid's defense, the team also let OJ Howard walk for a one year, $3 million contract in the off season. So clearly they weren't loving that version of OJ Howard. In addition to Kate Otten, they've talked up Coquifed a little bit, who is a sixth round rookie. Both are day three picks. I- I'm just not interested in this position. If Gronk is yep. not playing. 
So we'll move on to the ADP review. And Tom Brady is QB 10, which I think is fair. QB 2, QB 7 the past two years. He's had plenty of spike weeks. Um, You mentioned the concerns, and I share them, but I think they are baked into his QB 10 price. I do think that Tom Brady is more important to stack than you know some of the running quarterbacks that are in consideration there. I wouldn't want naked Tom Brady in my best ball turning lineup. Yeah, um, and, and I, I do like the way you can stack Brady. I, mean, I think it's pretty easy. Again, I don't want anything to do with the tight ends. I think Fournette is a – I think you can stack Brady and Fournette. I think you know Fournette does enough in the passing game where there's nice correlation there. And then again, I think Mike Evans, I like him at wide receiver seven. I, I still like Chris Goblin at wide receiver 30, Russell Gage wide receiver 35. It's, you know, it's still a fairly concentrated – offense where you know you can you can stack up Brady pretty easily Leonard Fournette's RB 11 he's up a little in FFPC drafts since just after re-signing with the Bucks but has held pretty steady in that range mid-round two um, in that format um, also RB 11 on that site both there and on underdog I'm cur- I'm not currently drafting much of Fournette because I want to see where this weight thing goes and there are there are guys around him Saquon Barkley's still right on either side of him and I easily yep. prefer Saquon Barkley straight up yeah, I prefer Barkley too. Um, yeah, we need that shirtless pick, Lenny. Um, I I will say so we get we get Bucks Panthers week seventeen. So if you're looking, you know, Corley and underdog, I, I've been able to get McCaffrey and Fournette on some teams, and I, I definitely like that start. Yeah, that would be where I'm most interested. We also have in the same range Alvin Kamara going after him, James Conner going after him. So you know, similar guys in terms of expected workload, it makes it easier for me to not be excited about Fournette. Rashad White RB42. I think it's a fair range. He's just behind Ronald Jones and Damian Pierce. He's just ahead of Isaiah Spiller, Naheem Hines, Daryl Henderson, and Michael Carter. Yeah, I, I like White as a target. He's a guy I'm trying. I'm really trying to leave a lot of these drafts with either Fournette or Rashad White. I just think this backfield is such a great spot for fantasy production. I think you know Fournette we've seen is a good fit in the offense. White I think projects is a good fit in the offense. Uh, you know, if something happens to Fournette. Again, I, I think uh, White has that upside to be to, to really be a league winner, you know, as a tenth or eleventh round pick. Wide receivers: Mike Evans at wide receiver seven, first half of round two. Um, like we said, kind of where he belongs. Chris Godwin down to wide receiver thirty. Russell Gage up to wide receiver thirty-five. Yeah, Godwin's ADP keeps dropping, and I can't I can't stay away from him. Again, I just I I think he I think he could be a wide receiver one over the second half of the season. And if I can get that, especially in these best ball tournaments in the you know sixth seventh round, it's, it, that's that's a guy I'm going to take a shot on. We shall see. Cameron Braid is up to tight end 23, tight end 25 in FFPC best ball drafting, tight end 23 in football guys, players championship drafts on there so far. I think that's where he makes the most sense, where you have lineup setting and you have waivers. So you can draft Cameron Braid as a reserve, see what happens, see if Gronk is back, see if they add any veterans, um, and then you can drop him for something else. I'm still never going to be targeting him because you basically have to choose him over Evan Ingram and David mm-hmm. Njoku on underdog right now. And that's a, a huge no thanks for me. Yeah, I'm not doing that either. I can't really hate on Braid at tight end 23, though. I mean, he could he could stumble his way into six, seven touchdowns just you know being on the field in this offense. So he's fine. Just Just really not for me. That's going to do it for this third installment of the Divisional Preview Series. You can check out the previous ones on DraftSharks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaw saying thanks so much for swimming with us.